Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day. Bobbing everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. What's a gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. Dan Bradley on his debut scores his first goal for Fylde. They've got it with Smith. They've got it with Smith. They've got a score with Smith. Unbelievable. Great chance. They've won it. Ashton have won it. Hello and welcome to Match Day FM and the latest Prem Talk podcast. My name's Chris Stoltz and I'm joined on this one by Chris Coughlin and Tom Whitehead. And we've got a heck of a lot to get through today, gents. So I'll just recap your memories of the scores from the last round of games. It started with Newcastle beating Palace by two goals to nil. Brighton and Liverpool drew one all with its first shirt of VAR controversy. City put five past Burnley at the Etihad for the fourth season in a row. Leeds went to Everton and won 1-0. And a big win for West Brom, 1-0 against Sheffield United. A big defeat, though, from a Sheffield United's perspective. Cavani struck twice for Manchester United as they came from behind to win at Southampton by three goals to two. Bit of a non-event between Chelsea and Spurs as that finished 0-0. Arsenal won Wolves 2, overshadowed by an injury to Jimenez, but a great win for Wolves, more issues for Arsenal. And then, what a result for Fulham, 2-1 at Leicester and on the Monday night. And then West Ham, Aston Villa, again, VAR rearing its ugly head in that one. So, gents, plenty to get through. We're going to start with um, the topic of... That's been brought up by Jurgen Klopp, not just this week, but seemingly for the last couple of weeks. But um, it's about sort of the fixture congestion and its correlation with injuries, isn't it, really? And he's, Klopp has said that he's um, not happy with the broadcasters about um, Liverpool playing several times early kickoff after playing in midweek. First of all, does Klopp have a point about this being an exceptional season and more care needs to be taken because of the injuries or is it a case of it's not overly different, it's just in a different world, if you know what I mean. We'll start with you, Tom. Um, mostly, I think he's getting himself into a bit, Just, I think he's winding himself up about it. He seems to be getting more and more aggravated the more it goes on. Um, he might have a slight point in that the Champions League for group stage format this year is week after week after week after week, not every fortnightly. So that might have a little, a little, I think it's a little bit of a cause there, but I think it's more just the horrific look Liverpool have of injuries and needs to, I think he feels like he needs to let it out somewhere on someone. I mean, it's a shame really because it's just sort of distracting it now. For me, it's becoming quite irritating just to see him getting caught up in... I, I won't say it's unnecessary because it is really irritating for us fans to see loads of players get injured. But I'd rather just try and focus on just trying on the matches themselves than than giving the press just ammunition, really. To um, yeah, ammunition just to um, create negative headlines, which is not what we need right now. And what about you, Chris? Um, obviously, Liverpool have probably been the team that's been hit hardest by injuries. So does Klopp have a point? But and I know I've I've seen a lot of Liverpool fans on on Twitter. You know when it's pulled together on an article, um, some saying 
you just wish he'd leave it alone, a bit like what Tom said there. Well, in particular, the interview that he did with BT after the Brighton game with Des Kelly, as an experienced as a journalist as Des Kelly is, I wonder if he just zoned out at some point of it, thinking I'm I'm arguing with a Premier League manager because <laughs> it wasn't even a two by the end. It was literally an argument between the two of them. Um, but you, you do wonder if Liverpool weren't suffering the injuries that they have had, whether Klopp would be making this point, I think. But in particular, the 12.30, maybe after the international break, I think was poor in terms of players who come back from halfway around the world to play 2.30 on a Saturday. That I do think that's a bit much of an ask. But I was having this debate the other day, and one key point about all this is that the 12.30 slot on a Saturday is, as far as the Premier League is concerned, is key for the Asian market in terms of getting the product out over in Asia. And with all due respect to a lot of teams in the Premier League, there are a certain amount of clubs that attract more in Asia, attract better viewing figures, and Liverpool are undoubtedly one of those teams. Um, and as I say, I think... He's just digging a bigger hole every time he gets drawn onto the subject. But I think when when you if you're a Premier League club and you sign that contract for these TV rights, you know that you have the possibility of playing in the twelve thirty, and that is a prime Asian market slot. Mm. And I just think you have to accept what comes with that. And as I say, if the injuries weren't stacking up as they were, maybe we wouldn't be seeing that side of Jurgen Klopp. And it was interesting to um, hear Gary Neville on Monday Night Football talking about the issue and saying it's not something that's new. Just a few stats that they brought up. For example, um, look at the 02-03 season. Man United actually played 12 Saturday early kickoff games, uh, a quarter of which were after a Champions League or international break. Um, you know, at Liverpool in 17-18 um, had eight Half of them were after the international break. And then when you look at the fixtures and playing in um, short amounts of time, this is the one where Jurgen Klopp statistically, you can only say he's wrong because at the moment, Liverpool are playing on average every 5.4 days, which could equate to over the season 45 for example, Chelsea in 12-13 played every, basically every four days. Middlesbrough 05-06, 4.2-days. United are on that list several times. Liverpool from 15-16 actually had it worse in the current situation. So, Tom, when you look at those stats, do you have to say that this isn't a, a problem that's now it's a historic problem? And if anything, Jürgen's actually probably behind the argument because those stats suggest other managers had a better point. No, you're entirely right. Um, just the facts themselves suggest that he's in the wrong on that one. But I think it's the way Jurgen Klopp is, though. He's a man that speaks for his heart, not from his head immediately. Yeah. Straight after in a post-match as well, where it was a controversial game in that. We, and we really felt we should have won. And obviously the frustrations build up. Um, yeah, I think Klopp just sort of has a no-filter approach and that's just the way he is. And then obviously when he is frustrated, it can spill out into blaming, not bl- yeah, blaming, finger-pointing, etc. And it's not a nice side we like to see. And, and I know other fans revel in his frustrations. I mean, that's just the way football is. Um, 
yeah, I think when he sits down afterwards and looks to solo, he'll probably think, yeah, it probably was a bit unwise for me to go in on like that and um, try and be a bit more astray. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'd be able to do that. It's just the way he is. Um, it's a shame, but I like to think that again when he sits down and goes through it with everyone else and staff, etc., they'll realise that it's just something they have to cope and live with. And the only real, like I said, the only look complaint he can have is that it's just. The, the week after week uh, format of the Champions League that might be having a slight impact, but I wouldn't, like I said, it's not, I wouldn't say we're making much difference really. I bet he couldn't believe his luck really when uh, when he saw eight o'clock on a Tuesday to a 7.15 on Sunday this week. Yeah. <laughs> With the, the gap to Wolves. I, I tell you, if Liverpool hadn't got the job done against Ajax, you can bet well, a little bit of frustration would have crept in for the fact they're playing on the Wednesday at it's the early kickoff in the Champions League, but the only re- the reason why there won't be that now is because let's face it, that isn't going to be Liverpool's first team. Yeah, <laughs> against uh, against Magellan. but they're already through as group winners, so there's good reason for that. The irony of ironies being that if he'd have played his strongest team against Atalanta, it would have been oh, able to rest players really? against Ajax, and uh, they've had effectively two week mid weeks off instead of just the one. But um, it has to be said that I know Oli Solskjaer had. Um, I said, I think it was after the Everton Everton game. He said something along the lines of they would set up to fail by playing that other game. So it, we have to say and stress it. It's not just Klopp that has, has mentioned this. I know Guardiola said it a few times. It's just that Klopp seems to say it every post match at the minute. Ferguson back in the day. Yeah, had a, had a, had a Neville well. Neville said that said that exact same thing. But I we touched on when you look at those stats, Ferguson probably actually had a bit more of a point. And if Benitez back in the day would have been saying it again, he'd have had a bit of a, a point. But does the question just now need to be asked? Um, you know, because he does raise a valid point about, you know, it is quite, it is going to be demanding if they've gone to Europe in midweek and then have to be the first game on. Um, do the, the league have to think at least make, make sure there's a bit more rotation um, in terms of, you know, th- these fixture um, situations. What do you reckon? I think so. I mean, the the biggest one in terms of what, when, when I've looked at the fixture list, one that this might crop up again. I know Liverpool playing Tottenham on the sixteenth eight pm, and then Crystal Palace on the on the Saturday at twelve thirty. So you can bet in that you know in, in that busy period that is a game that may well get get brought up again. Um, I know Wolves versus Villa. Is on the twelve thirty soon at Burnley versus Everton this week is twelve thirty. So you are sensing a bit of rotation there, but I think by and large throughout the season you have to accept that teams that get bigger numbers will inevitably be that be that twelve thirty slot. That that's just that's just the way it is, isn't it? Because the Premier League is it's a global game. Yeah, it's sort of an issue that's born out of success, isn't it? Really, Tom. Yeah, especially with the slot. In question as well. I think Liverpool do have the largest um, fan base in the Far East uh, in that region, so it's kind of victims of our own success in that way. Because if any big, big top four traditional big top four club is going to be so, sort of in in favour for trying to capture the Asian market, it's going to be Liverpool. Um, so in that, so yeah, it's sort of it's part and parcel of. Um, of the, the the scale of the club, really, I think Klopp again has to accept that that it's not like Bundesliga at all. These experienced the previous leagues, 
that the Premier League is the biggest global league in the world, uh, domestic global league in the, in the, in the world. And um, it's just, yeah, these kickoff times are, you've got to try and cope with it. And I know it's, I know we live in exceptional times, but everyone seems that like everyone else is also having to d- deal with it. So, yeah, I, I think in the coming weeks, I, th- I expect to see a calmer approach, even by his standards. Is it a point worth making as well that when you are a club that have had the success that Liverpool have had in recent years, you have got to accept that there are, I know it's extenuating circumstances, but there are going to be a lot of games. And if the squad was fully fit, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold will be back soon for Liverpool. Thiago, um, although in 2021, he's still to come back. Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. You know, if you've got, a, say, a squad like Manchester City, where they haven't had the injuries that they have had in previous seasons, you do feel there's a bit, like, say, for example, Sterling hasn't started for the last two league games. <laughs> I, I couldn't say the last time that happened consecutively. So that shows that other squads that do have the like the fitness or the less injury hit squads are able to rotate. Chelsea, for example, last night, Rudiger and Christensen at centre back. They've now got almost for the last few games of the Champions League a, a, a Champions League centre back pairing and a Premier League centre back pairing, including you know various uh, you know, the fullbacks were different, attackers were different. So it's a combination of a few factors, I think. I mean, even even the the substitutes debate, I think what didn't help a lot of people in terms of Klopp's case was that Liverpool only made two subs on on Tuesday. But as, as far as I say, it, this isn't a defence of that, but in the situation, I do wonder what subs other than maybe Simicast for Robertson could have been made to change the game. But, as I say, only making two subs when he's allowed five doesn't help his argument to bring into the Premier League, does it? I think his point about the five is it to uh, try and negate additional injuries that might occur um, sort of four substitutions, aren't they, rather than tactical ones? But um, yeah, it's more of an insurance policy. I think he wanted to be rather than you, the tactical purposes. But of course, that doesn't really wash with teams that have far less financial resources. It's and it's right. and and it's. I think the reason why it's unsuitable for our league still is five uh, subs is because the, the disparity between clubs in our league in terms of finances is far greater than I think I would say most of the leagues in Europe. Apart from maybe the league, obviously we've got the big, still the big two that I spend everyone else. But here, it's like a whole branch of clubs that are spending far bigger than most of the league. It's not just one or two, and that's kind of the reason why I still don't think it's suitable, even in the climate that we have now. Now, if you're enjoying this, then why not check out our blog? You can find it on our website. Just search for Matchday FM. Okay then, so that's that um, topic covered. Now the next one, again, brought up by a couple of Liverpool players, ironically, um, in Henderson and Milner. Um, Grealish has also had his say on this particular one, and we all know what it is. It's the dreaded three letters of V-A-R. Don't say it. Don't say it. It's, oh, <laughs> it's oh. getting, if it gets to a point where players are coming out I think even Guardiola has said something about it. I might be wrong there, but... De Bruyne as well. Yeah, if you're getting players coming out and saying, we would rather play without it, then you have got it fundamentally wrong. Some of the issues over the weekends were obviously a couple of penalty decisions in um, the Brighton-Liverpool game. Obviously, the one that Brighton scored, very questionable. Um the offside against Watkins when Watkins is actually offside because 
like he's only just offside for starters, and then he's only offside because he's getting fouled by Ogbonna, yet because the officials were looking for the offside, they didn't spot the foul, which, come on, see the pictures. I didn't even watch the game live. I've seen one clip of it, and I've gone, well, he's fouled there. It, what what has gone wrong this season? Because I'm, I'm a, I can't be the only one in thinking last season. It, on reflection, it was actually okay. This season, just terrible, isn't it, Chris? Compared to this year. Compared to this year. Like, I'll throw this one at you. PSG at Man United in the Champions League. Marquinhos' goal, that's offside in the Premier League. Yeah. Because Absolutely, it that's offside for 10 in the minutes. League. I mean, yeah. the other thing we should say about that game is Fred should 100% have been sent off <laughs> uh, a yes. good 40 minutes that, before well, that was pure. That, was, that wasn't even VAR. That was just the referee. That's just not bad officiating. But yeah, like you said, the, the, there's, there seems yeah. to be inconsistencies between the Premier League and um, other leagues, other competitions. And then there's the inconsistency between a decision in a Brighton game and a decision... I can't remember which game, but there was another one where there was a very similar incident where he's he kicked the foot and it's uh, not been given. And it's just like, oh, I'm just... I don't know about you, Tom, but I'm sick of it. And now the players are getting that way, aren't they? And that's the, the big thing that's damning VAR. Yeah, I think I said to Chris after our game that even I'm starting to turn against it now and I've always been quite the advocate for it I've always emphasised giving it time to perfect it and it's just it's got to a point now where I think if if, it, if it's not done by now or perfected by now I don't have any hope for it in the future and it's just it's just the um, the attitude and the atmosphere for games now that it's beginning to ruin not the actual decision making like when you score a goal you have to sort of mute your celebrations thinking is this all good is it right and then it was just, yeah, for me, the, the game, I just never felt so down about actually going to the top of the league because of how the context of the game with AR happened. It was it was a really odd one. And I just it's a dark, dark time for football just in general that I don't really want to have to revisit. And it's just, like, like, like Chris said, it's just getting beyond the joke now in some of the decisions. And as I think... Just out of curiosity, if there's a move, as we were just saying with the, what they were checking for or not checking for, if there's like a move and it's offside and it could have been a handball as well, can they only check one or the other or can they check both at the same time? That's what I've been trying yeah, to work out and I've not been able to find an answer to that. As far as I'm aware, <laughs> the VAR can look at the image and come and effectively come to whatever decision he wants. He can say, okay, right. Yeah, he was offside, but there's actually a handball that precedes it. Yeah, exactly. There and it could be, be a penalty, etc. Yeah, yeah, multiple but... issues in one move. And I'm just wondering, and I think with the... Like I said, I actually advocated bringing the rest up to himself because I've seen they've been doing other fit leagues. And I thought that would improve the situation, but of course, that just increases the duration of the rest. Got to physically run yeah. to the screen, have a look. And obviously, if they're wanting to have multiple things looked at, I don't think, they, I don't think they'll have really have the logistical time to do it because they started doing that, you would have five minutes minimum added on to the end of the games. And it's just, I think with the, the running over the ref to look at that that kind of VAR, I don't think it's compatible with having multiple looks at one move, it seems but, anyway. As as a serial watcher of European football, the biggest change for me with, with regards to going to the monster in the Premier League as opposed to other leagues, in the Premier League, they almost feel pressured to change their decision. Mm. Whereas in every other league, it's still independent. It's still up to them whether they want to change it or not. I just feel in the Premier League, we all know when they go to the monitor, there's 99.99% chance they're going to change their decision. 
Yeah, you and know they, it's going to be a penalty, don't you, straight away? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the one of the ones that you've mentioned, Stoy, the Salah offside, the biggest thing for me is that the liner was drawn from Ben White's right foot, which was further away from the goal than his shoulder, which was strange for me if you, if you look at where the angle was was drawn from. The, the penalty, this might surprise you, I don't have any complaints about it. I thought... At, it was At the one end of those day, that it's a kick in the penalty area. Yeah, and if you think back, there was one Liverpool got against West Ham. West Ham, yeah, which was yeah. very similar. But end, end of the day, end of the day, you, you pick the ball soft. in the penalty area. Yeah. yeah, the Watkins one. It honestly, I don't, I don't support Aston Villa, and it took me a day or so to get over this. I am just abs. I was furious with it because, as far as I'm concerned, to you know, to me. If you applied maybe Champions League logic or something, I think he'd, I think there's still a case that he could be onside. And second of all, as you say, with VAR, what are they checking? Are they not checking that Bonner has him in a headlock? <laughs> yeah. It's just absolutely staggering. And I saw in Holland, actually, they have an extra ruling for VAR where it's called the linesman's call. In Holland, on their VAR system, their lines are checked with five-centimetre lines. None of this pinstripe nonsense. Oh, where well, you draw the line yourself yeah. for the discretion so it, of the individual. It's it's a five-centimetre line for the for the last bit of the forward and the last bit of the attack and the last bit of the defender. And in Holland, whether you whether you think this is right or wrong, if the lines cross at any point, even if the forward is slightly further than the defender, it's onside. Because of well, there's, the, there's the, no, the linesman's call. Well, in, without wanting to um, create any plenary, for it, it's it's uh, it that that is clear. That's there is no blurred lines on that, is there? Um, that's that for me. I mean, yeah, you get those that would perhaps have some complaint, but if it's just a standard rule across the board, that seems to be more. I know, I know, well, I know. Offside is offside, <laughs> but when, when if if it, if it was that close, as Lin, as as Gary Lineker said on many times, if you need to draw a line, is it really offside? Yeah, it's more the methodology that is. It's the methodology that needs to be consistent, really, and how they do it, rather yeah. than the actual. Yeah, it's um that's the bit that needs to improve. But again, it's been so long now. What? How many years have we been at it now? And it just seems to be no still in the wilderness, just to approval from fans. I think it's, I think it's probably an all time low now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's much. more. I th- yeah, I think it's just. The, I think the reason why it's at an all time low is because it's been this long now, and we're still talking about. VAR more than probably what's happened in the actual games, which is not supposed to happen, really, in an ideal world. Yeah, and when you look at the application in other sports, you see rugby league. I mean, I know before it came into football, I was like, I was critical of rugby league's use of uh, the video referee. But when you look at it now, it's absolutely, it's borderline flawless, really, at times. Um, And they don't take an age. They they do scrutinise things. and. As a point we were making earlier, if they spot something that they haven't been told to look for, which is an infringement, etc., they will bear that in mind and use that as the last point to go from. And again, that could be something that comes in. But very quickly, I want to get a very spontaneous answer from you both. Should fear at, at the end of this season, what should be the decision our VAR? Should it stay for next season? Or should it be binned, Tom? 
I go, I actually go a bit of the democratic route. I open it up to a club vote uh, amongst the clubs. I like I just that, say yeah. That, yeah um, no, but, uh, that's fair, I, I think that's a fair way of sorting it out. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't, I, that's for me, that seems to be the fairest way. Um, let's know what, what Chris thinks, but we'll see on that. I'll go for the, I'll go for the dictatorship route. <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I, I am an advocate of VAR. I believe that it just maybe hasn't been used properly so far. Um, I do, I do support it. I know it, it, I know it is almost said through gritted teeth at the moment, but maybe I'd say the officials need more educating on it. There needs to be better communication. And, and, and Andy Robertson said maybe ex-officials, ex-referees, ex-professionals need to be involved in the decision-making. And maybe that's something that can be used going forward. But for yeah. me, I think getting rid of VAR would be a backward step. And I just think the, the actual decision-making itself is what needs to be focused on more than VAR. What about... Yeah. What I say, maybe what if they pulled it for a season where they went back to the drawing board for a season, completely revamp it. I just think focus that. Then. But no, but then you could focus that on training the officials properly, given thorough training. I'm not. I'm just not about a brief thing. Thorough training, like completely reworking them. I mean, I don't know. I just I think that, that it's not something that requires can be done with a quick fix anymore. It seems it seems like it needs to complete another overhaul or re reevaluation anyway. Don't give them a summer off. <laughs> Just get them no. traded throughout the summer. True. <laughs> You're listening to Matchday FM. Did look at one stage. We'd maybe have four teams battling it out for uh, for Champions League place on the final day. Obviously, Chester. Sorry, yeah, Chelsea. Chester. <laughs> I know. I know. Quite a season, day, uh, Participation <laughs> in this Premier League. Chelsea, <laughs> Leicester, oh, Manchester United. Start again. That's man. going in a sting. I don't care. Blue Surely. <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool, Man City, Man United, and Chester. <laughs> Banter, debate, and the odd good point too. Right here on Matchday FM. So that's uh, VAR chalked off for another episode. Hopefully we won't have to touch it again, but I highly doubt that. Uh, but <laughs> one thing that is positive about the world of football right now is that fans are starting to come back. Obviously, in the wider context of the world, it's progress. We've got the vaccine uh, that is starting to to come to the shores, will be distributed, obviously, long way, way off us all getting it. We're probably way down the pecking order anyway. Um but the fact that fans are starting to come back at the minute, let's face it, majority getting 2,000 unless it's Truro at home. Um, but, I mean, 2,000 in a 60,000 capacity stadium um, isn't going to look great. But I'll tell you what, it's going to sound like 60,000 compared to what we've had lately, isn't it, Chris? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, obviously, we've got fans this weekend um, we'll, we'll touch on uh, which games uh, in the predictions but the the first experience I had uh, seeing it was, was Luton at home against Norwich I watched the highlights of that and I got goosebumps really really did get goosebumps I saw the um, footage of Wickham fans as well that's the first time Wickham fans have ever seen their team at home in the championship uh, which, which is quite an emotional moment for them as well but 
the Luton, just just the Luton goals, just how just that raw emotion. None of this goal noise, none of this automated noise that you use at the push of a button. There was pure emotion, pure fans, and just little things like when when someone has a shot and it's that pin drop silence before the ball goes in the back of the net, and then the then the roar afterwards. You don't realise how much you've missed it until you hear it again, and. It's an amazing, amazing step forward. And admittedly, Luton had 1,000 fans. So 1,000 fans in a 10,000-seater stadium is going to sound different to, say, 2,000 in 60,000, 70,000-seater. But as as H mentioned uh, last week, we were never, ever going to be able just to go, everyone back. 2,000 is a necessary step to go up to 10,000, and then 10,000 is a step to go up to 20,000. It's just the, nece- the the important steps that are being taken to get back to where we all want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Tom, again, for you, is, is it a, just great to be seeing them back, hearing them boo a penalty, for example? It's just those little things that we've we've missed, and it's that bit of normality into it that um, we've all been craving. Yeah, it's it's the they call it the baby steps, isn't it? And like you said, it's the little things that will have the character will say put the character back into the game rather than this sort of soulless affair that it's sort of turned into recently. And that's just not I mean obviously that I'm not, I don't think I don't there'll be people who disagree with me on that, but I think I, I share the opinion of a lot who've just been watching these sort of dead atmosphere. I mean obviously Controversially, I prefer to watch it with the fake crowd noise on to at least give myself some sense of <laughs> what's going on. But yeah, to have the real thing back in any way, shape, or form, it's, it's a bonus. And the only thing I'd, I've, I'm curious about isn't there isn't there some sort of the Premier League a code of conduct they're trying to enforce where you can't shout excessively or something daft? Or is, I think you've seen something like that, haven't you, Coughlin? I, I, I think so. Yeah, it's basically like not excessive chanting, which. I'm not being funny, but if your and team's would... if Spurs back yeah. 95th minute, them Spurs fans aren't just going to go, yeah, well done, Harry. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Yeah, no, it's and then, and then to me again, controversial. I think that's ludicrous. I know the clubs that's themselves not controversial. Being... I think that's that's the thought of all of us. Well, in this world, at the moment anything you say is controversial, but that, <laughs> but that for me, because I I know the clubs will be doing right. I know they'll be making sure people have the the, the appropriate social distancing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then once you're in that space, that's your own space, you should be able to shout, scream as much as you want. Seriously, I mean, who, yeah. if you if you're if you're the appropriate distance from everyone else, what harm is there? Seriously, and let's face it, there's that's enough room. By... Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Plenty of space. I mean, by all means, the game when they're getting to the seat, etc. Yes, enforce all the relevant stuff that's that's currently enshrined in law now. But once you get to your area of where you are sat. I don't think there should be any restrictions really on what you should be able to obviously yeah, I mean, just basically be a fan as you would have been a fan going to a game pre-pandemic, but in that's your own spot. One of the strangest restrictions I saw uh that I was informed of was that if the ball's flying towards you, you're not you're not meant to touch it. So so you're just gonna whack it first. <laughs> <laughs> but is that not easily sorted? Say so you say, you know, when when you when you're leaving the kiosk area to go into the stand would that not be easily sorted if you say you've got people standing there and you don't let them pass you until they've sanitised their hands you'd imagine really what they should do 
let's face it, is have little um, sanitizer things next to your seat. <laughs> yeah. Happy yeah, days. Like Get them in. You got enough <laughs> money. Or just head it, really. I mean, what can they yeah. do about that? Oh, that's always been that's, <laughs> that's always, that's always been there. If you read it well, you might even get a contract for Liverpool. Oh, we can't even yeah. say heading anymore with what's been going on. I'll nominate myself for centre-back. I played there once in the uni game. Didn't go well. As <laughs> many of our colleagues will attest. <laughs> hey! The Matchday FM podcast. Available now on Apple and Spotify. So on to the predictions now. And uh, we'll first of all start with um, getting a quick word from the panel on the fact that Villa Newcastle has become the first Premier League game um, since all this um, COVID malarkey kicked off to actually be cancelled while football's still happening. Um, I tell you what, I I don't know about you, but I think they've done well to to get this far without a, a game being officially called off, Tom. No, I 100% agree. Um, so there's been the scale of the um, the transformation of the game and all the, the sort of the, the um, all, all the disruption caused by it. The way that they've adapted for me has been quite remarkable. Um, with the the te- in the testing, obviously the testing system in country it's pretty farcical, but where for the for the clubs it seems to have done wonders really for the um, for getting the game up and going again. It just yeah, um, I'm yeah, I'm actually quite surprised because with the amount of logistics, and it's not just players anymore, is it? All the other staff at all the clubs, and it adds up to a lot of people. And obviously, they all have their own bubble, well, family bubbles, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's logistically, it's a far, far bigger challenge than what many people would think. And um, so yeah, for, for this to be the first one um, since since it came back for last season, and then since the start of this season, it's yeah, I think it's quite remarkable in a way. What about you, Chris? Uh, again, is it a case of the Premier League's done well? Obviously, it's it's a real shame. And obviously, we pass on, um, you know, best wishes to everybody who's actually contracted the virus, etc. Um, is it, a, you know, a testament to what has been put in place that um, cases have been at a minimum, realistically, and that this is the first game that's, you know, been disrupted because of an outbreak? Absolutely. Um, fully echo that about sending our wishes over, and for yourself, Chris. I mean, you you've seen firsthand the amount of games in in rugby league and Super League that were cancelled throughout the the regular season once it got brought back. Does that make this even more, if you want to call it, impressive that this was the first Premier League game to get cancelled? It just shows how well everyone everyone's done, how careful everyone's been so far. Yeah, well, I think ultimately, fast. Let's face it, the vast majority of players in the Premier League have stuck to sort of the big bubbling that they've had. I know in, in Super League it was it was more difficult because it's not as it's full time but not quite as full time. They still have the elements of, you know, somebody might do the old bit as a bricklayer or something. I know their bubbles weren't as stringent, but again, it is it's you know, it's down to the players, the staff, etc. at the Premier League clubs to to do their duty at the end of the day. And obviously, you know, we've seen in non-league football, I know, for example, York in um, in National North, they're about seven games behind because um, I think they've had two positive cases. But the difference there has been, if, say, backroom staff test positive, the whole team has to go into isolation for a fortnight. Whereas, obviously, in the Premier League, we've had cases, Liverpool, for example, Salah had, had to miss a couple of weeks, but Liverpool went ahead. 
because of the different protocols that have been in place. And I think whatever they've done in the Premier League has been really positive to be able to to go on. Let's face it, there's not been any major issues. You know, nobody has had it bad touch wood. Um, and hopefully that continues. But, you know, yeah. they've done well, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Super League as well, to spoil you, actively have to grab people. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, let's face it, they get a bit closer <laughs> to each other in that, don't they? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, as I say, we first, well, first news kind of broke, what was it, Monday? Monday or so that there'd been a bit of an outbreak. If it had been able to break on the Saturday, I would have been very grateful. So I would have rethought what I was going to do my fantasy team, but that's a story for another day. I'm only going to this week with four, with 10 players. Fantastic. And one of them is one of them's Eve Basuma. I don't expect anything from him with all due respect. <laughs> well, we might as well uh, midfielder. discuss what the likes of Basuma, etc. are going to be doing. Um, we'll come to Brighton at the end, actually. Um, but we're going to start with uh, Happy Place Turf Moor, Burnley Everton. Um, for the predictions. I'll come to you, Tom, for your thoughts on that one. Uh, oof. I mean, Everton, again, never a great season yesterday thus far. Um, suffered a bit of a hiccup against Leeds. Oof. Burnley's always a tough place to go, even with or without fans. I'll go for a draw for that one. But I'll go 1-1. One, one. And Coughlin? Um, I'm thinking 1-1, but for, for different reasons, to be honest. Obviously, Burnley got their first win at Turf, or win of the season at all, um, at Turf more last time uh, against Crystal Palace. Everton, four, four, four defeats in five Premier League games. My, my I've, got this, I've just got this vision of them hoofing it long to Rodriguez and Wood and just backing into the Everton defenders and giving them a really tough time, to be honest. And I know Burnley got walloped last weekend, but Nick Pope is is fit to return, which will be a huge thing for for Burnley. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm going to go Burnley one, Everton one. Yeah, to be fair, we all knew Burnley were going to get walloped at City. They always do, don't they? Like I said earlier, yes. four in a row. Now it's five nil. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I'm feeling a bit smug about my prediction of them. Finishing, yeah, they're, they're going further back, aren't they? You know, yeah, they're dropping like flies a bit, aren't they? Everton, but uh, jokes aside, I think they'll still have it, have enough, and probably start moving back up again. I, I think they'll win this one. I, I think, um, I hope they do, mainly because I've got uh, a lot riding on Calvert Lewin and Rodriguez. Um, so I'm going to go 2 1 to the Toffees, City Fulham. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've said it every time I've been on this podcast, but I think Fulham are getting better and better. They got a great win against Leicester, didn't they, Chris? Um, can they go and cause a major upset at Manchester City? No. But brilliant result there, Leicester. Fan- fantastic result. Um, and just Cavalera, that, that's a big, big thing for him to finally, or for Fulham as a whole, to finally put a penalty away. And a bit of redemption for Adam Luckman as well. Um, I do agree that they are getting better and better. Uh, but City showed against Burnley that when they turn it on, they are very, very, very good. And as I say, Mares and um, De Bruyne were just absolutely on fire. Even you know, Mendy's getting on the act. It was his, finally his first goal for City after be a very injury-plagued uh, couple of years. Uh, I won't go as comprehensive, but I will still go for Manchester City. I am going to go 3-0. Tom? 
Yeah, much on the same lines as Chris. Um, again, it was a remarkable result they did get at Leicester. Um, as you said, I think they are getting better. But it had been to be fair, there was only one way they could go home what they had, when they start, when it started off, and that was up really. But um, yes, um, City showing what uh, the, the, the city that I, that we've all become so used to in recent years in the last game. Um, I think I mean to be fair, I would City can still be got. I'd say I'd fancy form for at least a goal, but I'll go. 5-1 City for the prediction. It's funny, isn't it? Because Fulham as well, they're almost appearing now to be, in the last few games, a bit of a better side without Mitrovic in the team. Yeah. Controversial. He, he's one of those prime examples of bosses it in the Championship, doesn't cut the mustard in the Premier League. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with everybody that I think City are going to have too much. Uh, I think they'll win 3-0. West Ham against Man United. Uh, difficult and disappointing result in midweek for United. Can they go to West Ham in front of fans? First time we get to say that. Um, can they go to the London Stadium and get a result, Man United? What do we reckon, Tom? Um, so think. I mean, yeah, in front of fans, but that that stadium's had its ups and downs in recent times anyway with what people think of it. There'll be uh, um, certainly social distance from the pitch, won't they? They're that far back. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit ironic that this problems. is the first game with fans back, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, West, West Ham themselves have been fairly decent this season. That was a good win for them against Villa. last, Especially with that Villa side again, that also started the season well. Um, Moy seems to be getting a tune out of the team. Um, I'll give him that. And United, you just don't know who's going to what United are going to turn up, like I said. I mean, again, I mean, they were in the depths of despair when they lost to Istanbul, BBs, perhaps, Bazaxa Hayes, and Chris. Yeah. Yes, you got that on their pronunciation nailed on. And then they bounced back and had a convincing one the weekend. Um, I think they will bounce back again. So I'd go, I'll go for United 3 1. Well, I mean, I mean, Man United, by the way, it's United, <laughs> here, so Manchester United, to be yeah. specific. <laughs> Keep forgetting who's against Duke. It's been too long. Gone. <laughs> Um, can we just take a moment to appreciate West Ham are fifth? They're having a great uh, season, aren't they? <laughs> Mike, Mike, dropped, <laughs> yeah. Mike dropped moment there. Yeah, let's think, uh, let, let, let's, let's pretend face it, that. Yeah. We all, I think every single one of us in the uh, preview podcast, yeah. but West Ham a struggle. Yeah, I, I just didn't anticipate them doing this well, honestly. Um, but for me, I mean, when you look at my eyes away days... Oof, Bruno has been on fire in the league this season and in, in exactly. the way days. He's been absolutely brilliant, hasn't he? Um, helped inspire the the comeback at Southampton, of course, with the with the first goal there. Uh I'm gonna go two one United. Well, I'm gonna United. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'm just trying to 2-1 <laughs> to Manchester United because away from home, they just simply do not lose. Yeah, I I think I'm gonna go same score like two one United at Man United. Um, but yeah, I think Same it'll be a good track. game. It will be a good game. Um, I think West Ham have impressed me. They're one of the teams that have impressed me the most this season, to be honest. Um, like Chris said, riding high in fifth. Um, match for anybody at the minute. Seems to be on the radar, but as well, seems to be just noodling away, avoiding the head, well, avoiding the headlines. Just, yeah, just for yeah, once. noodling away for once. Right. Yeah, which seems to be a miracle of West Ham yeah. with, the, with the way that club's been running recently. I mean, to be fair. They've performed better since fans have stopped coming to the game. So I wonder, I wonder if, uh, if that. I wouldn't, tell, I wouldn't tell West Ham fans that. Uh, Chelsea leads. I tell you what, I like the look of this one, Chris. I do indeed. And I tell you, Leeds 
in recent weeks, considering that they shipped um, four goals in consecutive games against Leicester and Crystal Palace, two clean sheets in a row against Arsenal and Everton. It's not bad going at all, is it? Um, however, I do not anticipate them keeping a clean sheet against Chelsea. Um, they are getting better and better under Frank Lampard. I do feel, I feel the new signings are, are clicking. Um, albeit they did come up against Jose, and we'll come on to that uh, shortly, but uh, Jose Jose knew what he was doing uh, at, at the weekend. Uh, I, just, I can see it's been a very open game. And I will go for 3-1 to Chelsea. Tom? Uh, yeah, Chelsea seems to have found a bit the click for now anyway, um, in his current form. But... He plays for Leeds. <laughs> yes, Klitsch. I had to, it was there. Yeah, you know, I know. But um, yeah, they clicked for recently and it seems to be going well for them. But then Bielsa's also been showing how much of a pragmatist he is in recent games as well. Seems to... Um, know how not just stick to the one style it seems which I thought I thought it might have been a one trick pony but it seems that he's known seems to be, be able to get different tunes out of the team for different kinds of games especially with the last one as well Everton defended really well in that game um, and I do actually I think they might cause Chelsea more problems than you'd think I still think Chelsea will win but I'll go a bit narrower I'll go for a 3-2 to Chelsea I want to continue the trend of it getting tighter and tighter. I'm going to go for Desmond here. Oh. I, I think I um, both sides are good on the ball. And like, uh, you know, we've said the defensive lead has got better, but I still think Chelsea have a good attacking. I, I, I think, obviously, with Chelsea having plenty of the ball, counter-attack is going to be there for, for Leeds, isn't it? So I think it'll be interesting. It could go either way, so I'll just go Desmond down the middle. Um, so should be a good watch either way based on those predictions. Uh, West Brom, Crystal Palace, big win for West Brom at the weekend. Obviously, they were fantastic against United um, the week before and were, again, VAR, uh, cost them a result. Coming up against Palace in the early Sunday game, um, come to you, Chris Coughlin, for your thought on that one. Mm, it could depend on whether Zaha... I mean, Zaha won't be 100% fit you would imagine after two weeks off but the two games they've had without him Kel Surprise they have struggled massively um, obviously the 1-0 at Burnley and then the 2-0 against Newcastle West Brom again similarly to Fulham you feel like they're oh, you're starting to build a little bit and defensively they have they really have tightened up in the last few weeks um, I'm I'm ugh. This is this is actually quite tough. Um, I'm going to push for a one nil to West Brom, make it successive home wins. Tom out. I, I I don't know. I wouldn't expect this to be hugely enthralling. It's not exactly on the, the priority list of ones to watch for me. I mean, I could be complete, proved completely wrong. I'm probably well for saying that, but um, again, it's a tough one to call because Palace. A tricky one. They seem to, I remember watching, they just seem to be disappointing. But then in the background, they were seem, Roy just seems to know how to get out the result when they need to get the result. It just seems it's that kind of team. Um, I think, yeah, I think they'll do the, the classic sort of Roy Hodgson thing and I'll go for a 1 0 Crystal Palace. I'm going to go for 1 1 in that one. I think very, very evenly matched sides. Sheffield United, Leicester is getting a bit desperate for Sheffield United. They simply have to win, don't they, really, Tom? 
and do so soon. Will they be able to get it against Leicester? No, I just again just to be frank. Um, again, Leicester, yeah, very disappointing in the in the recent game. But again, I, the way Leicester are and the Rodgers, I expect them to bounce back. I would um, expect Vardy to at least have a bit more input this time as well. He seems to want. I think he'll have that consistency coming through. Um, again, Sheffield United, it's been disappointing for them, and, and they are at home. You'd expect them to at least have a good go and cause a few issues, but we just, I just don't see. I just don't, I'm encouraged, I haven't been encouraged how they're going to win certain games like this, and I won't. I, I, I won't say it'd be very comfortable for Leicester. I wouldn't say it's going to be a guarantee, but I think they'll have enough to see them over. I'll go for three-one Leicester. Coughlin. This, uh, you know what, I, I had a thought the other day, and I'm going to use the word could in this so that it doesn't come back and bite me too much. Could this Sheffield United team end up being worse than Derby? I genuinely, I thought a very similar thing the other, other day, thinking these could get a really low total. I couldn't see him getting past one, 20. One point out of 30. Yeah. That is, it's, it's I can't just, see him getting more than 20 points. I really no, can't. At this stage, only four goals in 10 games. Well, I know Burnley have got four in um, in in nine, but it's generally conceived that Burnley have a better defence. I mean, you take Jack O'Connell out of the Sheffield United team, you are ripping the heart out of that team, aren't you? And Leicester will be very keen to bounce back from that shock defeat against Fulham. And I know well, Vardy scored at Bramall Lane last year, huge Sheffield Wednesday fan, Jamie Vardy. Uh, so I'm going to go 2-0 to the Foxes. Yeah, I'm going to go same scoreline. I had that in my head just now. 2-0 uh, to, to Leicester. Bleak times for Sheffield United then. Spurs-Arsenal, this is probably the, the one you're most looking forward to. Fans there as well, which is always nice. Um They'll be up for this. This For them, it's probably the perfect game to come back to, isn't it, really, for, for Spurs fans. Will Mourinho work his magic, Chris? I I think he will. Uh, I love what I'm seeing from, from Spurs at the moment. We're saying Harry Kane is a doubt, but for me, I think that's just mind games. Personally, I, I, expect, I expect him to play against Arsenal, who he has a fantastic record against. He really does. Against an Arsenal team that... Oof, Oof, yeah, got to be careful what you say here, haven't you? Really, just in terms of just how poor they've been. I think that they have been really shoddy uh, in certainly the last few weeks under Arteta. And if it, if it was a different manager, say if this was under Emery, be getting ripped apart left, right, and centre. And I wonder how much long Arteta's got until he receives that sort of criticism. I am, oh, I'm going to go three-one to Tottenham. Tom. I mean, the cliche is that form goes out the window when it comes to a derby. But as Chris has been saying, Arsenal have been so just put, not just poor. It's just the kind of goals they can see that just seems like it's almost just casual errors that lead to goals that aren't even that. It's, it's not even the opposition having to be truly class to actually score past them. That's what it seems. Um, but that, that obviously, it's the a derby. They'll be up for it. Like I mean, I still think. Still back again, back Arsenal for a goal. I mean, still the firepower score, but with the way Mourinho is going at the moment and the the wave that Tottenham seems to be riding, the crest of that wave, I'll go for a, I'll I'll go for a three-one Spurs. The the point Tommy made there 
about the sloppy goals, summed up perfectly by both of Wolves' goals. Exactly. Uh, last week, rebounds. And who was first to react? The only two Wolves players that was surrounded by Arsenal defenders. And that just sums up where Arsenal's problems are really at the moment. So the, 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 just like, the opposition doesn't even have to be at the, at, at the top of their game to score yeah. against Arsenal. That's the worrying part. I think arguably the most worrying thing for the Gunners is the lack of ammunition. They're just not scoring, are they? They've gone for a Bamiang all season so far. Signed a contract, scored one goal. <laughs> He's not doing it, is he? And that's the, the big thing. They're not getting the tune out of the attacking players and letting in soft goals. I'm really not convinced by Arteta. Really not convinced. I don't see what he's bringing to the party, to be honest. Uh, I mean, party's probably not not been playing either, has he? So that's probably... <laughs> it's, 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 the ant- it's, it's the politics, the antics going on off the pitch as well. Yeah. This, this battle with Mesa Odso after leaving out the squad, that seems to still be ongoing and raging on. If only um, they had a creative midfielder available. <laughs> yes. If. Yeah. If only. It's a shame they've not got somebody who's, you know, World Cup winner. Played, yeah, played oh, yeah. many a time for Germany, some of the biggest clubs in the world, but, you know, we're not supreme managers, are we? Um, but yeah, I, no I echo uh, what you've been saying in terms of, I think Spurs win this and I think they win it well. I'm going to go for 3 0. I think if Spurs click and get on. Get on um, on target. Could be could be a bit of a nightmare for Arsenal. Liverpool Wolves, the hotter derby. Are we seeing this one, Tom? You know what? I just completely caught off guard. They're actually thought of as the Jota or the hotter derby, however you want to pronounce his name. Um, it's a good one like that. Um, again, I'm not 100%. I mean, Wolves did play well against Arsenal. I mean, they said they weren't out to be at their best to beat Arsenal that day, but. Just the, the, I mean, I mean, they are a threat, but without without Jimenez, I think I might might be a bit thankful for that. I mean, obviously not thankful in the the nature of the injury. That's horrific. I wish him all the best in recovering from it. But for 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 his for, for what is, in my opinion, their biggest threat to not be there, it, it will give it gives me a little bit more hope for us anyway. I think I think we'll win, um, but I expect us to be a bit more nervy than usual. Just with everything that's been going on, um, I'll go for I'll go for two nil local. Yeah, exactly the same in terms of the thought thoughts to Raul Jimenez. I mean, when you see someone go down, you hear it on the TV like that. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, and you know, we wish him all the best in his recovery because he is a fun, fantastic goal scorer, Raul Jimenez, for all he's done for Wolves. Uh, for Liverpool, it will mean the world to a lot of players uh, just in terms of being able to get the rest in the week that uh, they got it done in the Champions League uh, and Wolves of course they can defend they tend to keep games quite tight I expect this to be tight as well but I think Liverpool will eventually get the job done uh, I'm going to go 2-1 to Liverpool Obviously. Good day for the keeper though because Allison's out isn't Huge it? day for Kelleher Huge yeah, day. You would day. imagine that he'll be playing after being given the nod over Adrian well, that's why that's why I said the keeper because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's Klopp. If that's Klopp's definite policy now is to stick with Kelo. But I mean, after the performance in the midweek, yeah, he seems to be a shoe in now. Yeah, it'd be interesting. That's probably his big selection headache. Um, like like we said, it's um, Bulls know how to defend, know how to stifle an opposition at times. Um, Liverpool haven't been as um, goal happy have they? as they have been in, in recent times. I think it's a tough game for them. Obviously, fans will be back at Anfield, which 
even if it is only a couple of thousand, it is going to make a big difference. But I actually fancy Wolves to get something. I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for one-one, uh, just based on you know the things I, I said. But, no, that's, that's, but I think that's reasonable. I, I certainly can't see Wolves winning. If somebody wins, it will be Liverpool. But I think Wolves um, might have enough to get something from that. So final game of the match week is Brighton against Southampton. Again, fans are there. Um, it's an attractive game. Both sides like to play football, don't they, Chris? Absolutely. Um, and we've been saying quite a lot about Brighton not getting the result for their football. I, ultimately, um, the, the manner they got the um, result was deflating for Liverpool, but I don't think anyone can really debate too much that Brighton did deserve uh, a, a point last week. Um, gobsmacked, really, when Morpai missed the penalty. And then, obviously, whether it was a pride that was injured more than actually him being injured or not, I guess subdued straight after. Um, but yeah, they, they they thoroughly deserved that. And Southampton, a stat got brought up. I can't remember whether it was before Bruno scored or just after that they dropped the most points over the last two years or so in the Premier League. It's now over forty points after after losing uh, three points against Manchester United. Uh, but all all things considered. Brighton three, Southampton four. Eves Bassoon with a hat trick. Chad Adams with four for Southampton. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that would be paradise. Um, I'm going to go for Brighton one, Southampton two. Um, yeah, I mean, South, Southampton was shell shocked from the manner in which they capitulated. That game against... been three or four before the comeback. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a, that's a tough blow, and they're going to have to pick themselves, dust themselves off from that. But then again. Um, I know, I know, Joe, and appreciate it for bringing it up once again. But they dust themselves off after the, the horrific nine goal, <laughs> the horrific nine goal, nine goal nightmare, uh, that result. Um, but no, the t- I think Southampton are, are bottom of a team that can dust themselves off from bad from bad results. So um, I'll go for. But then again, Bright- Brighton as well. Keep going at a steady old pace. Got a good win against Villa not so long ago. Um, getting a few draws in there. Basically, they've been picking up points at a rather steady rate, which you can't really ask much more of them at the moment. I'll go for a draw in this one. I'll go for 1 1. Yeah, I'm on very similar lines to Tom there. I think it's an evenly matched um, game with it being played at the MX. Um, Southampton would be very disappointed in the fact that they let the game slip. They were a fantastic first half. I've been really impressed with them this season. I've said many a time, Brighton have been probably one of the, you know, one of those teams that are impressed without getting the results. Um, I think they'll pick up another point. I'm going to go for 1-1. So finally then, gents, player, manager, performance and goal of the week. What I'll do is I'll uh, come to one of you and just reel off the four as quick as we can um, to get the uh, the outcome of them. I'll come to you first, Chris. Okay, In whatever my... order you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with what I've got written down here. Uh, my player of the week is Edinson Cavani, half-time substitute uh, for United, of course. An assist and two goals to come from 2-0 down to win 3-2. There's not much more you can ask in terms of being player of the week. I would like to give mention to Cavalero just because Fulham eventually scored a penalty, but uh, not quite enough to edge Cavani. Uh, Manager, Jose Mourinho, because he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing for Tottenham at Chelsea. He's a manager who... For a nil-nil? He's he's a manager who's won leagues off getting points off other 
teams that are going to be know, around. That's that Spurs. To, I, I don't know. Was I don't know. I think. I, I, Going to going to Stamford Bridge and getting a point is better than going to Stamford Bridge playing attack and football and getting ripped apart on the counter attack. I mean, does it mean that, that you don't always lose if you play attacking football, Chris? Nah, for, for for me, it was Mourinho. For me, it was it was just classic Mourinho thinking. I want a nil nil. I'm going to go and get a nil. Yeah, it's a good result, but Spurs are a quality side now. I, I, if, I, if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be buoyant. I, would, I, do, expect, I think they could have got something, but. If you're looking back in a you know in a few or you look back in a few weeks' time, well, a few months' time, say if Tottenham do manage to do it and they beat and they pip Chelsea by a few points, then that's something they'll look back on, won't they? But I just thought it was classic Mourinho, to be honest. Uh my performance I've got a, a two here, to be honest with you, because City hitting five against Burnley, it's a five star display. Uh, but also Fulham to be honest with you. And I'm probably going to edge more towards Fulham for that win at Leicester. I think it was a brilliant result. My goal of the week goes to Benjamin Mendy against Burnley uh, because it's just not a goal you see every day. A lovely ball to the back post by Kevin De Bruyne. Nice controlled volley by Benjamin Mendy. And uh, lovely, lovely finish to it. I think it was 3-0 at halftime, but uh, a rare goal as well for uh, a very talented fullback who has had his injury problems. Grand. Tom. Uh, start off again, we'll go the same order again. Player, yeah, uh, Cavani showing this sort of timeless quality that he seems to possess, and now he's doing it in the Premier League. Uh, it's great to see. Um, admittedly, it's not great to see because of United, but I'll keep that there. But no, it's um, no, it's 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 the kind of strike you what you just love to see playing in our in, in the Premier League because it's the kind of quality you want to be seeing, and it's that that appeal that. That brings it brings it um, excitement. Admittedly, it's just excitement, isn't it? It's just the sort of football we need. That kind of, and then that, especially in that kind of thrilling game as well, to win it at the death. No, it's a. I, I, I think that, I think he deserves that. To be fair, uh, manager, I. You know what? I still kind of like the Bielsa kind of performance against Everton. It's just someone who's so associated with the attacking side of the game and. The way he wants to do it to show the pragmatism of the, of um, the way he did it and showing a different side of football that can be played from a manager who's been so associated with one type. And Everton, I still think, are a quality side at this moment in time, regardless of the form they've been showing. They can, for me, they're a team to be feared at the moment. That's just my opinion. I think I'll, I'll give it to Bielsa actually for the manager. Uh, and I'll go for performance. Hmm. Performance uh, again. I'll go Manchester United. Actually, I'll give them that one because they were in a bit of a hole. I mean, I, I mean that's the bit of a hole actually. That with the way they perform sometimes the season, Manchester United. It's they did show a, bit, a fair bit of character to get themselves out of that and bring themselves back into half, the game. Half game performance awards then now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better. It's better than giving a performance from nil nil. I mean, I, I mean personally, I, I back team that actually won the game for a performance in that particular bit then I didn't get performance I get manager <laughs> whatever uh, and then uh, goal goal I was torn between I actually quite like Gallagher's for West Brom by the way that's lovely controlled finish that in on, on the volley as well but then Ward Prowse's free kick it was something about that I just seemed although mind you we all know De, think De Gea could have done better should have done better I still I like Technique for that, but I'll go for the Gallagher for West Brom. Actually, I thought to myself, technique on that. I thought in the placement as well. I thought now that's for me, that's a really good goal. And um, just watching all the others as well, there wasn't wasn't that was wasn't a world leading week for quality of goals actually. But that one, 
that one that one's a nice one to cherish for him. Well, I think we've got a clean sweep for player with uh, Cavani. Uh, close to followed by Mares for the hat trick. Uh, manager, I've gone Scott Parker. Um, great win. Um, and it's got him out of the, a bit of a mess and it, getting them to look up a little bit. A couple of results that they could have easily picked up in recent weeks. It could be a lot higher to refer to them. Um, I've also given them the performance as well, manager and performance. Um, bit of a double header for them. Um, for Fulham, great week for them. We've all tipped them for an absolute nightmare this week, like. Um, and a goal, I've gone James Ward-Prowse free kick. Love a good free kick, even if it was against my team. But, I mean, to be fair, the oh, other yeah, part yeah. of me was thinking Cavani's <laughs> winner just for the limbs at the end. Uh, but, yeah, that that wraps it up then, chaps. Uh, thanks again to Chris and Tom for, for joining me. That's the latest uh, Prem Talk on Match Day FM. But listen out for other podcasts. Um, I don't. Myself, Rob and Kieran, I've got a Super League one coming up very shortly. But we're in the planning stages of that. A uh, few more articles and whatnot going up on the website as well. And don't forget, you can catch up on all of the Prem Talk episodes as well as all the other podcasts we've done going way back to the start of the lockdown when we were talking Euros and whatnot. But you can find all those on the website, which is my step up. Uh, Wix and if you go on our social media page you'll find everything you need to search for Match Day FM but thanks for listening and join us next time on Prem Talk <laughs>